Hello and welcome. I'm here with Dr. Sri. I'm Curtis Martin, and we're excited to be able to walk through a few of the biblical passages about Jesus. Yeah, you know, we know the Bible. Many of us hear the Bible stories at Mass. We've learned these stories from our childhood. We've heard about Jesus multiplying loaves and calling Peter to follow him. We've heard about stories of him riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, and so many stories of Christ's life. But if we ever come to really know Jesus through those stories, what we're going to do is take a deeper dive into many of these stories that we are very familiar with, but we're going to come and look at them with a first century Jewish lens. How would the ancient Jews have understood what Jesus was saying and doing at that time? And we're going to see so many prophecies coming to fulfillment. And most of all, we're going to see how these stories facilitate a profound encounter with Jesus and deepen our friendship with him. That's what we're looking at in this study called Meeting the Messiah. And today we're going to start with the woman at the well. We should start with a word of prayer. Would you lead sure. us? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Mother, you knew the word. You gave birth to him. We ask that you would pray for us, that we would fall more deeply in love with your Son. As we pray together, hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord, the Lord is with thee. Blessed, blessed art thou, thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mary Mother of God, God pray, pray for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so John chapter 4 is where we're going to meet the Messiah in this session. Yeah, this is a profound meeting between Jesus and the woman at the well, otherwise known as the Samaritan woman. And it's so fun to just see how every little detail in the story, again, you could just read over and go, oh, he, he, had to, he had to pass through Samaria. That's what it says in John chapter 4, verse 4, and I want to start there. He had to pass through Samaria, and so he goes to this town, to the city, and he's going to meet the woman at the well there. But I want to just note that he had to pass through Samaria. If you read the, the background in the previous chapter, he was in Judea, which is the region around Jerusalem. And in the chapter before that, he's meeting Nicodemus and in Jerusalem, and he's, uh, it, he's in the city and at the temple. Here he's going back up to Galilee. And it says he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that's interesting because he didn't have to pass because it was the only road. No, there, there were various other, ways to get there. Yeah, various ways. In some ways, it might have been easier. This would have been rugged terrain and not very hospitable because the Samaritans and the Jews have a rivalry we're going to see. Uh, so actually, when it says he had to pass through Samaria, it's telling us not because of geographic necessity or because of the, the, the roads of the day. It's more of a necessity of his heart that he has a need, a need, an urgent need to go to the people of Samaria and bring the gospel there and particularly to bring the gospel to this particular woman we're going to see. Yeah, so let's jump in. Take a look at what's going on in her life. We see in verse 6, And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said, Give me a drink. Now, this is fascinating. So first of all, when it says the sixth hour, that for the Jewish time frame, that means noon. So they start their hours at what we would call 6 a.m. roughly. And so this is saying high noon when people wouldn't be normally coming to the well for, for water because it's the hottest time of the day. This is not when you'd want to go. It already tells us something about this woman, that she maybe is someone who's an outcast in her town. She's not showing up when the normal time when all the other women would be there at the well. So she's going by herself in the middle of the day. And then it and the fact that Jesus is going and he's coming to this foreign people, he's going to the Samaritans, and he goes to a well. This is a story that would sound very familiar to the Jews of the first century. 
No, meeting a woman at the well actually is, is kind of marital imagery. You see back in the Old Testament, you see Isaac meets his wife, Moses meets his wife. So meeting a woman at the well. So there's, there's some marital imagery, but also, as you mentioned, something's not right. She's not there in the morning when the other women are there who probably talk poorly about her from what we're about to learn about her. And so she's there in the middle of the day when no one else is usually there. And Jesus is there, but he's a, a, a male Jew talking to a female Samaritan. I mean, this, it, all kinds of societal barriers are being busted right here. Yeah, in fact, that's what the woman says. Uh, you know, when Jesus sees her and says, give me a drink, uh, and there's no one else around, then the woman, Samaritan woman says to him in verse 9, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? So she's highlighting two things. First of all, what are you doing, you know, as a, uh, as, a, as a man talking to a woman by yourself? None of the disciples were around. They went into town to get food. So this is like you, you would normally cross that kind of a barrier, a one-on-one conversation with someone that wasn't a family member uh, of the opposite sex. But the bigger thing is even, why is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a woman of Samaria? You see, the Samaritans were originally a part of the Israelite people, the 12 tribes of Israel, but they broke off in 722 uh, BC, and they started intermarrying and with, the, with pagan nations and worshiping pagan gods. So they were viewed by the Jews as like, like half-breeds. They were viewed as not true to the covenant of God. They, they have memories of Moses and memories of the Ten Commandments and of Yahweh, but they also are worshiping all these other deities. And so there's this intense rivalry. You're not faithful. That's what a Jew would be thinking. And here is Jesus, a Jew, talking to this woman. Who we're going to see hasn't been that faithful. And so there's a lot going on here to be able to recognize, oh my goodness, this is a, a very interesting story. And I love one. I'll go back and highlight just a minute. This idea that he had to go and they're at a well. He didn't have to go because it was the only road. He had to go because the, the Savior wants to meet this woman and change her life and her eternal destiny. Just like he wants us to meet us and change our destiny and the people we love as well. So what happens next in verse 10? Jesus uh, answers and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to, says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, that's interesting there, that language, living water. Now, you don't need to be a big biblical scholar, but we're going to unpack a couple things to make it easy for you here. That, that language there, I would, I would underline that language at the end of verse 10, living water. I would highlight those two words. In, in Greek, the word is hydrozoe, which could mean something like running water, you know, like fresh water, you know, and, and you, know, you would want to come to me for the fresh water. But Jesus means it in a bigger way, because this word can also mean hydrozoe, living water, like waters of life. Life-giving water. And it's referring to more like the, the spiritual life that he wants to give, the life of the Holy Spirit. How does, she, how does she interpret these words? She takes it as flowing water in verse 11. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get this living water? And, and so she's looking at this on the natural level. And this is what happens oftentimes with Jesus when he encounters people. They hear him say something like, I, oh, I'm the bread of life. And they think, okay, you're going to give me more bread. You know, he's talking about the Eucharist. He's talking about something greater. Same thing here. He, he, she hears living water, oh, flowing water. But Jesus means more like the life of the Holy Spirit dwelling within her. So the woman, but then she says to her, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? You know, are you greater than our father Jacob? You know, you can't all of a sudden give us this great flowing water, this natural water here. You're not greater than Jacob. Well, let's think about that for a moment. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Well, no, he's God. <laughs> he made <Yes>. Jacob. <laughs> so, so there's an irony in this story. Uh, and in the end, Jesus unfolds the story and says, no, no, the water I give to you is, is greater than any other kind of water. If you drink of the water I give, you will never thirst. You'll never have to come back here. And what does the woman say now in verse 15? Sir, give me this water. You know, I think this is fascinating, Chris, because this is the first time we actually see her like a little more receptive, a little curious. Yep. At first, she's just been combative. You know, what is it, you, you a Jew coming to me, a woman talking to me, and or are you greater than our father, Jacob? This is the first time she's kind of curious. She's going, huh, what is this water that I would ha- never have to come here to? Now, yeah, may- coming here is a pain in the neck. It's the middle of the day. I don't like to come in the morning because the women aren't nice to me. So I come in the middle of the day. It's hot. It's a long walk. And then it's heavy to carry back. You're going to give me water and I'll never have to get water again? Sir, give me this water. Yeah, and even though she's <laughs> understanding it on that natural level for flowing water, it's, she at least has a need and she's recognizing a need and Jesus might be able to fulfill that need. And then here's the, so she shows an openness and then Jesus really speaks to her heart. He says, well, go, go call your husband to come here. <laughs> and uh, he knows exactly who he's speaking with. He's God. She can't believe that he's speaking to her and that she's, that the request is to who is your husband. That raises a real problem. And the woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you said well that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This is what you've said is true. And the woman responds and said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> or maybe a gossip. You know, everybody <laughs> in the town knows I've had five husbands. But how do you know? Yeah, she perceives now there's something here. He knows my soul. Yeah. You know, and she's got this you know, dark past five different men, and Jesus has read her soul. He goes, I perceive you're a prophet. So she's gone from, okay, what are you doing talking to me? Are you greater than our father Jacob too? Okay, maybe you can help me with this problem with the water, to, whoa, you just read my soul? You may, you, may, you're, you might be a prophet. No, and a, a Samaritans, for all the background you've already given, actually didn't like the prophets that you'd find in the Old Testament because they always were telling the, the Samaritans that they were wrong and needed to get back in communion with the son of David and the, and the kingdom. And so they didn't really pay much attention to him. The prophet that he did believe in was Moses. And Moses had made a promise and said, God will send you a prophet like unto myself, meaning the Messiah. So when she says, I perceive that you're a prophet, it's not any run-of-the-mill prophet as if there's such a thing. But you might be truly extraordinary. Maybe you are greater than our father Jacob. Yeah, in fact, that great prophet, uh, the prophet alike unto Moses, you read about that in the book of Deuteronomy is where you get that great prophecy. That was the hope for the Redeemer, for the Samaritans. The, the Samaritans weren't hoping for a Jewish Messiah. They, weren't, they didn't want a son of David, a king. That's from those Southerners down there. We broke off from them a long time ago. Our hope is in this Redeemer figure, the prophet like unto Moses. So this woman's coming a long way. She's coming to believe in Jesus, but we're going to see there is so much more. We're just scratching the surface right now. It, when we get into the story of the background of her life and how it relates to other prophecies, we're all going to be blown away. This is so fun. But right now, what we're going to do is we're going to take a little pause because we have a great guest, uh, a special guest going to join us to share a few words about this scene. Let's hear a few words from Katie. 
It's great to be with you guys. My name is Katie Prejean McGrady. I am the host of the Katie McGrady Show on Sirius XM's The Catholic Channel. I'm so excited to be here. I absolutely love this particular passage that we're talking about today. The woman at the well is one of those stories. It's iconic. Everybody knows the story of the woman at the well. But the idea that this woman has hidden herself. She's kind of run away from the crowd of people. She doesn't want to be where everybody is. She's at this well at noon, the hottest part of the day, and Jesus goes and finds her there. He seeks her out. He looks for her to have this moment of encounter. And he he talks to her about what it is that she's looking for. It really poses for us the opportunity to think, okay, well, what am I looking for? What am I seeking? What am I longing for? And how does Jesus actually reveal that to me? If I'm thinking of things on this very natural level, Jesus is actually taking me deeper to think about things on this supernatural level. What is it that could quench my thirst? What is it that could bring me new life? So maybe that's something we can all ponder. How does Jesus seek us out, especially in these moments when we're hidden and we've run away? And what are we actually looking for? And how does Jesus ask us what we're looking for? And and how do we respond with him? How do we seek that with him? All right, so we just have seen that Jesus wants her to go get her husband. She doesn't have a husband. She's actually had five, and the one she's with right now is not the husband. She said, oh, you're, this, you're a prophet. And so we start to pick up again on verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that it is in Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And so a lot has happened here. Let's look at this woman and the five husbands. What is this an image of, Dr. Sri? Well, the idea of five husbands, if you were, again, a Jew in the first century and you were hearing this a story of this woman that has five husbands and the one that she's with now is not her husband, this is going to bring to mind a story from 2 Kings chapter 17. And this is the, the story of the fall of Samaria. I mentioned at the beginning that the Israelite people, the the people that came out of Egypt in the time of the Exodus under Moses, they were divided into 12 groups called 12 tribes. But 10 of those tribes broke off. Uh, Way back, you can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 12, or 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, after the time of David and Solomon, the next king, there was a rebellion and the 10 tribes broke off and they started worshiping other deities. But what you see happening here in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 25 through 31, we read here about how a foreign nation came in and invaded the northern kingdom of Samaria. And this nation, this kingdom was Assyria. The Assyrians dominated and came in, invaded the land. And what their practice was, was they would take over a new land. They would, they would bring in other nations that they had taken over and have them force them to mix with the local people so that the local people would lose their identity. And they would start intermarrying with these other nations. And what's fascinating is 2 Kings 17 tells us that how many nations did the the, Assyrians bring in? in? Five different kings, five different nations are brought in. So first of all, they cart some of the Israelites, the Samaritans, are are carted away. And they're taken to other places that have been conquered. The ones that are left, now you bring in these five nations. And those five nations begin to share their practices. They begin to intermarry, as you say. And the relationship between these five nations, each of them having their own false god, each of, the, of these five nations. And so there's something going on here that's a little deeper. Yeah, and, the, and the, the cult deities that these five nations are bringing in, their five sets of cult deities that they were called Baals. You've heard of the Baals maybe from the Old Testament. 
The word for Baal could be translated Lord, but you know what also could be translated? Husband. And so what's fascinating here is this woman who has five husbands, this woman embodies the history of her own people, the Samaritans, that intermarried and didn't just fall in love with these other pagan nations, but fell in love with their five cult deities, their five Baals, their five husbands. So Jesus is talking to this woman whose life is recapitulating the Samaritan life. You have had five husbands. Your nation has had five husbands. I know that because I'm the, your true husband. We're at the well. I'm the true God, not these false gods. And I, he's, he's offering her salvation, the, the, the fulfillment of all of her hopes. And she's the most unlikely of candidates. And yet her life, in a very tragic way, through tragic decisions, had come to represent, and she could embody the Samaritans. And Jesus is there as the, the Savior to extend salvation back to the lost tribes. And this is fulfilling a, a great prophecy in the Old Testament. In the book of Hosea, chapter 2, and we, we don't have to open that up here, but I'm going to just summarize it briefly. You can look at that book later. Hosea is, is a great prophet writing about what's going to happen with the northern kingdom, and that this northern kingdom, the Samaritan people, had, had been God's bride, and he, God was like the bridegroom, and they had a beautiful betrothal. But then the, the, her, the bride starts worshiping other gods, uh, and, and it's like cheating on God, becoming like a great adulteress. But then in Hosea chapter 2, God gives a prophecy that one day he's going to come back as bridegroom. He's going to come back to woo his, his, his bride back, to woo the people of Samaria back. And he says, I'll betroth you to me forever. We will be renewed. We're gonna, I'm going to come as your bridegroom again. And that's why it's no mistake that when you read John's gospel in chapter 2, his first miracle takes place in the context of a wedding. wedding. Jesus is that bridegroom Messiah that was prophesied. That's John chapter 2. Then in John chapter 3, John the Baptist says, hey, I'm not the one. I'm not the main guy. I'm just like the best man. Jesus, he's the one. He is the bridegroom. And now in chapter 4, we see the bridegroom going to a well in this foreign land, following the pattern of Moses and, and Jacob and others who found their bride there. And he meets this woman who's had five husbands. And he says to her, the one you are with now is not your husband. I'm not your husband. I want to be. I, not, not, not on a natural level, but the spiritual imagery of I want to be that divine bridegroom Messiah for you and the people you represent. And so it's a, it's a moving moment at the end of the story when the woman says to him in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he'll show us all things. I mean, for a Samaritan to talk about the Messiah is crazy, right? Because the Samaritans didn't want a Messiah. They didn't want that Jewish Messiah king from down south and from Jerusalem to come. But for her to start talking about the Messiah, you really see her heart turning. And then in the end, what does Jesus say to her? I who speak to you am he. One of the most powerful statements. You know, I, I know the Messiah's there. But that's me. And if, if, if you were talking about Hosea, it talks beautifully about, he speaks, Hosea says, I will come to you and speak kindly to you in the wilderness. What is Jesus doing? He's speaking, what are you, a Jew, doing talking to me, a Samaritan woman, at a well? What are you, I'm fulfilling the promises that I was going to come and rescue you from your false worship and reestablish a covenant with you is exactly what they say in Hosea chapter 2. It's beautiful, but what she does with this information is pretty amazing. I mean, she's, uh, she's, she's now taken. It's amazing to see. And uh, we want to watch how she's now motivated to go back into the town. Yeah, verse 39. It says, Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of your words that we believe, but we've heard for ourselves, and we know that he's the Savior of the world. So I love the story because the Samaritan woman becomes like the first evangelist in the Gospel of John. And she goes and she just can't help. She's encountered Jesus. She's experienced that gentleness, that kindness, even though no one else treated her that way. She has to come in the broad daylight in the middle of the day. She experiences great love, his great mercy. And she comes to believe he really is the Messiah. And she goes and she just can't help but share it with everybody else. And the most unlikely of messengers, right? Nobody's going to really believe her. She has no credibility in the town. This is a small town. Everybody knows everybody and they know everybody's baggage. And yet she's so overwhelmed with this amazing joy that she's found in Christ that she's able to compel them to come out and see him. And it strikes me that, you know, this is a, a, a woman who is the first evangelist of the Samaritans. But the, uh, there's a woman, down, a Jewish woman, who's known as the apostle to the apostles, Mary Magdalene, who shared the good, the good news of the resurrection with the apostles, who was also a woman who didn't have a great back, background. To be able to see the, the, this amazing reality of this marital change, we're talking spiritual marriage, but the, the last chapters in the Bible are going to talk about the bridegroom and the bride the, being the church and Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what's going on here. And it's amazing to see these people first come and trust her, no training, no workshop. She's never been, never read a book on evangelization. She's able to bring them out. And then by spending more time with Jesus, they all come to say, we no longer need your testimony. We're convinced this is the Savior of the world. But think about what this, women, this woman did. Again, with no training. She didn't get a theology degree. She didn't go to a, a training class on evangelization. She made such a difference and eternity has changed in the lives of many of these people in her town in Samaria because she was willing to share the goodness of what she encountered in Jesus. And that's our question for you. Do you have people in your life that you wish would know Jesus? Do you have a family member, a friend, a coworker, a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter, and you long for them to know Christ? But you're not sure, well, I don't know how to say it. I don't have a lot of training. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, haven't, I don't have a theology degree. You don't need one. But don't get me wrong, all the training will make you more effective. So get training if you, if, if, if you so desire. But when we share from our own experience, simply being able to share how Christ has made a difference in our lives, we can do that with the people in our lives. That's what it means to be a missionary disciple. There's the power of a testimony. I could make truth claims and, and you could sit back and say, I don't know if I accept that. You could get into an argument with a loved one or a family member, but when you're sharing your own personal joy, th- th- you can't argue with that. This yes. is what's helped me with my marriage. This is what helped me when I was struggling and you know, raising up one of my teenagers, or this is what helped me when I was going through a hard time or illness or whatever. You know, like when we share how Christ has made a difference in our lives, it, 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 it is piercing, just like that woman did. No, and so our encouragement for you is that this is the way this woman met the Messiah. And by reading and prayerfully reviewing it, like going back and reading it ourselves after this session and be able to see as we watch her encounter Jesus, Jesus is able to step through the centuries and encounter us. This is the critical part for all of us. And whether you've known Christ and, and, and pray regularly or whether you don't, it doesn't matter. God is calling you to have a renewal of the great love affair that he has with you. You are designed to be his bride. Even us men, we'll, we, the, the bride of Christ is the church, both men and women. Our relationship on a purely chaste level is that of, of, of spousal, because there's no closer relationship in, in human existence. And to be able to see that's what God is trying to, to give us, is this deep love despite our brokenness. Well, so much more we could get into. One of the things we'd like to do is share with you 
from some of our missionaries in the field. We have focused missionaries around the country, around the world, that are sharing the good news, the love of Jesus Christ, like in this, that we find in this story. Uh, and I'd love you to hear from Cami, who is our regional director serving in Washington State. Hello, Dr. Shree and Curtis, and hello to all of you who are participating in this year's Bible study. My name is Kami Bellard, and I serve as a regional director in the West Area of Focus with schools in Washington, Oregon, Colorado, New Mexico. And I'm here with a couple of missionaries from the University of Washington, and we just wanted to share with you um, the ways that we see the women at the well connecting to mission on the field. I am working with a student this year, and she was telling me a story about how she chose to go back to confession this past summer for the first time since her first reconciliation. And I see her living out the story of the woman at the well because she chose to leave her sins behind. She dropped her jar, and now she's running to tell others about the Lord, um, specifically with the atheists that the Lord keeps placing in her life. Praise God. And so we just wanted to encourage all of you in whatever jug you might be holding on to as you pursue the Lord through this Bible study to let him encounter you, to leave everything behind, and to bring that light to others so they may encounter him as well. Thank you so much for all that you are doing to pursue the Lord. Please pray for us in our missionary roles and know that we'll be praying for you. Bye! <laughs> Thank you for joining us. It's been a delight. Looking forward to hopefully having you join us back in our next session. And I know many of you are doing this in a small group. I want to encourage you, if you're not yet, you can do this with a family. You could do this at your parish. You can do it in a men's group, a women's group, a couples group, a Bible study group. Uh, it's really awesome to get together. And we have free guides that are there to help you facilitate a conversation to go deeper into these powerful stories and truly meet the Messiah. You can download those guides simply by clicking on the link that is in the description. So thanks for joining us. Let's close in a glory be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, the world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's set the world on fire.